It starts with hello. My name is Todd Nathanson, and I'm Danny Roth. I I, I didn't have something. In no, no, no. I, I I sprang that on you. I'm sorry. And this is song versus song. Uh, are, are you ready to new metal? Uh, you know, I just oh, I can't I, 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 can't, I, I can't I can't wake up. <laughs> oh, well, we'll try and wake you up so you can do this podcast. Oh boy. I sense some hesitancy on your part. This is this is another one of those magic times where I was too old. Or n- not too old, but the wrong age. The yeah. exact wrong age to be judging this. Any opinion I give in this episode is, I guarantee, incorrect. Okay, well, let's say what it is first. Like, we are doing In the End by Linkin Park, a true classic, versus Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, another true classic, despite what Dan might say for the rest of of the uh, the episode. Well, I just want to say, I, I mean, I went through the comments. We usually save the comments for the end, but somebody had said that they were going to listen to some new metal to uh, to make themselves feel okay about the fact that one or both of us <laughs> yeah. was going to make them feel bad and they would feel like not one of the cool kids. I, I was twenty between 22 and I think 26 mm-hmm. or thereabouts uh, during the popularity of these bands and these two songs. And I just was... My opinions are wrong. They're just wrong about both, I'm sure. Certainly my knee-jerk responses, having done some research, maybe mm-hmm. I've arrived at better ones, but um, where I start, I'm positive is incorrect. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting because, I, you know, I was maybe the right age. I don't know. Like, I was 16 when that first album dropped, so that seems like the right age, but I was also, like, a horrible snob. Starting off at this the best place, the best place possible, Knee-jerk response, which of these two songs, and why? I did not have that answer. I, I should have thought of this. I guess I'm going with Linkin Park. I think I'm going with Linkin Park. Okay, why? I feel like, and you know, it took me a while to get on board with Linkin Park. Bring Me to Life, I liked right away. But Bring Me to Life feels a lot more like a joke to me. Like a meme song, as we say now. And I'm not even sure what a meme song is or what that definition is. But it's just something that's kind of funny, just on its own and not by a, not on purpose. Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, you think, is is instantaneously, close. immediately a jokey meme. It's funny to me. Well, not immediately or instantaneously, but in hindsight. The Can way you that, find in the end to be... The real thing, yeah. That one, stu- that one hits, like, in an unironic way, I feel like. And I cannot say that about every Linkin Park song. What, why? What, are you, what is your opinion on it? I land, uh, I favor, or uh, knee-jerk response, I favored at the beginning of this, Bring Me to Life, Mm -hmm. because I found in the end to be uncomfortably earnest. That that is Linkin Park's brand, yes. Also, and this is, this boy, this reveals a lot, Um, so... When In the End came out, I would have been in college or maybe even just fresh out of college. So I definitely would have been very snobby about my music. Whereas by the time um, Bring Me to Life had come out, I specifically remember that song coming out. And what I remember about it was that um, my friend Mo, he was the the oldest friend I had by age, not by time that I'd known him. Mm-hmm. But he had two kids who were teenagers and they really loved Evanescence and they were going through a really tough time. And so when they listened to really angry music, I was like, I mean, I was a teenager too, and I understand listening to angry music is a part of the process, but I was happy that they would listen to this one kind of melodic song. <laughs> and I was like, cool, maybe you won't go out and, and like 
beat people up or get beaten. I don't. I just was worried about them. And when they listened to quiet music, I felt relieved. And that is the most corny old person response <laughs> to have. But I just it. That's it. I have a very specific memory aligned to that song, and that the feeling that's attached to it is just relieved for the children. I was really. I was. <laughs> I was. I was thinking of the children. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I was talking to like a, a music friend of mine the other day, or a, a contact at least, and he was talking about like uh, the backlash against uh, Twenty One Pilots. You know, in these last couple years, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really get Twenty One Pilots, but there's a lot of backlash against them. It's like, no, if the kids are into it, trust the kids; they will have better taste than you do. Of course, like I said, I was a kid. I hated Lincoln Park for at least those first two songs. Well, look, here's another thing that I'll say about Linkin Park that I remember distinctly not liking at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, all right, so new metal as a thing, right? Yes. Did not start off sounding like Linkin Park. No, not at all. It started off sounding like, uh, I don't know, Corn. I guess. Corn's like one of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, Slipknot and uh, uh, Limp Bizkit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is so weird to me that Corn and Limp Bizkit, and they will be a subject of a song versus song, I'm sure, at some point. Inevitably. But it is so weird to me that those were, consi- they're like, linked Deftones, bands. you know. Yeah, but like, Corn and Link. Tool, it, technically, would, would, I think, kind of fall under the auspices of new metal. Yeah. But, but so, so those things, right? So the ones yeah. that start uh, in the mid to late 90s have this thing, which is that they have a common DNA with the alternative music that came before. And the good alternative music, the lyrics, right, mm-hmm. were notable because they were uh, like, you know, like actual poems, like good poems. Where we were like, what the fuck does this mean? I don't oh. know, but I like it. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, so you listen to a Kurt Cobain lyric and you're like, that's fucking great. Mm-hmm. But the downside to that is also that, you know, the, the Lord giveth and so the Lord also giveth Gavin Rosdale. Got, <laughs> got a machine head better than the rest. Green to red machine head. What the fuck does that mean? The answer yeah, nothing. Is, yeah, these are the the forerunners of like the, the angst of year 2000 and so on. But like what Bush meant, no one had a, a clue. It was very obtuse. Absolutely nothing, though. Yeah. That's the thing. Absolutely nothing. So, you know, when Korn and, and Deftones and none of these other groups kind of come and tool, I would say, technically kind of counts as part of this. Yeah. They were also, you know, somewhat obscured in the lyrics. Even when they were being kind of literal, they were still interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they were trying to tell a story. And the thing about Linkin Park, when In the End came out, I thought you just can't. This is not a poem. It's not a lyric. It's a sentence. Those first few songs, the first couple singles, first hit singles at least, "One Step Closer" and "Crawling," they were very easy to make fun of because they were so on the nose. Right, and it's in just, the end, also, I guess. I think in the end, absolutely counts as that, and it's just. And they were a joke the, for a long time. At right? that point, you're just like, what's the difference between that and how could this happen to me? It's just, and that is a joke and forever will be a joke. I, if yeah. there's any, I'm sorry if anybody out there likes that song. It yeah, is, the kids were absolutely wrong about that one. Yeah, that song is very bad and it became instantly memeable. I remember that being on YTMND constantly. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, man. That was definitely my, my first blush on Linkin Park was listening to a bunch of songs from that album and in the end was played, I think, at least where I was, I heard it constantly. Even though I wasn't listening to pop radio that much, it was still pretty inescapable. 
And here's another thing I remember. Do you remember the VMAs? In Lincoln Park? No, um, no, I don't remember them being at the VMAs. I miss, miss this one. So they won uh, okay. Best Rock Band. Okay. This song played okay. when they came up on stage. But preceding that, do you have any recollection, I guess not, of who it was who, in, who read out who the nominees were for the award that year? No, who? That would be David Lee Roth. And, and Sammy Hagar. Oh, wait. Yes. So, yes. So, I do remember this. So the deal was that the two of them had, after both having a shit situation with the rest of Van Halen, mm-hmm. decided that even though they fucking hated each other. And still do. And still do. Basically on a on a bet or a dare or who knows what, this competition had arisen that they were going to go out on tour together in order to be able to prove which one of them was the better performer on their own? And the answer to that, not to, to lean too heavily into it, is Sammy Hagar. David Lee Roth is, is, at least at this point in his career, was more about coming out with a bunch of chicks and being David Lee Roth, man. Okay. And Sammy Hagar was more interested in actually being a performer. Rock star, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when I was in high school, my, my, uh, my history teacher used to be like, David Lee, man. And at the time, I thought it was cool. And only in hindsight did I realize what the truly sick burn that was. But, <laughs> but anyway, we're anyway, going. So the point is that they're up on stage and they're going to they're supposed to be reading off a teleprompter. And of course, they're not. Mm-hmm. And at one point, David Lee Roth says, what's your favorite Linkin Park song? And Sammy Hayer goes, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know a single Linkin Park song. And then they're like, who wins Linkin Park? And you just see the smiles on the band's face as they stand up. And I, you know, David Lee Roth refuses to leave this. It's bizarre. It's singularly bizarre. It's very funny. And then they get up and are very humble and a little too sincere because that's still their fucking brand. But yeah, that I remember. Yeah, I for a band that, you know, was as aggressive and loud as Linkin Park was, I cannot think of a single group that was like as divorced from the, like the David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar style of music. Yeah, as- they're completely opposite. I mean, you know, actually kind of in the way that, that Kurt Cobain was. Like, yeah. yes, they were writing lyrics in the exact opposite sense, but I think that the common DNA they had with Kurt and that era of music was that they were ex- desperately unhappy. Yeah, like they were. I don't know that they were like, man, we've got stardom and now we're happy and this things are great. It's like, well, we've got this now. Now well, I mean, there is there is one other obvious connection between Nirvana and Linkin Park. Well, yeah. the thing about that is, you know, what, we'll talk about that in, yeah. in, in a little bit. Um, so yeah, so coming into it, this is the stuff that I really have memories of. Is that, that they were just really corny and also that I don't know, man. In the end. I definitely remember my feeling about that song listening to it was it's about some dick who thought he was going to get laid and didn't and is and is just man baby hurt about the whole thing. And that was always how I, I heard that song. And by contrast, Evanescence was instantly going to be not that just anything but that. <laughs> well, like I said, like I was 16 at the time. But I was like kind of a snob and I knew like it wasn't cool to like Linkin Park. So I was like, no, that's for babies. And my, I had a bunch of little cousins who I, you know, basically my little brothers running around and they were super into it. And I was like, oh, you you guys don't know what music is. I know what music is. I mean, I and I say this but like the album I had just bought was probably Americana by The Offspring. So I, I yeah, did no, not I really mean, have a lot of let, let us acknowledge right here right now yeah. that neither of us have any clue what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> 
No, but I do. Anyway, re- back to the podcast about songs. <laughs> I, I do remember like there was like even like among my group of snobs on the Internet and the couple people I talked to in real life, like there was like kind of an acknowledgement like, OK, fine. In the end is OK. And honestly, by the time Linkin Park released that second album, Meteora, I was like all on the bandwagon. I was like, no, I get it. I get it now. Well, the they, well, they also travel a, a real distance, you know. They were constantly in a state of evolving as a band, as many long-term bands are. They really stuck it out. And, like, what I remember is, like, it wasn't the rock guys who, like, turned around on them. It was, like, the pop guys who were, like, whatever those were back in the year 2000. But, like, those were, like... Actually, there's a lot of interesting things going on in that Linkin Park album. They do a lot of, you know, interesting electronic stuff. And, you know, there's like some interesting rock techno mixes in there. And I was like, actually, you know what? I can hear it. And I I actually learned that riff on the piano. And I would play it to be sarcastic to make fun of my little cousins. But I was like, actually, actually, this is kind of kind of a pretty solid hook here. I, I, I think I, maybe I like this. And then I did not say that to anyone until it was safe much many years later well i just hadn't listened to it in a really long time yeah and uh listening to uh in the end now i'll say this uh it's 2020 now as we're recording yeah. this a lot of people looking back on not just the the previous year but the previous decade <laughs> and uh thinking of my own life uh if i was to try to uh pick a lyric that I feel yeah. really adequately sums it up, it could very well be, I tried so hard and got so far. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. oops. Anyway, uh, so, you know. Uh, yeah, this has been a pretty... Dis- despair feels pretty uh, on brand today, you know. It does. Uh, I definitely, you know, I think it's because now I listen to it and uh, and I no longer hear it as a song about a guy who didn't get his way with a girl. That's not what I get off of the song now, um, because it's been so long since it came out, and now I listen to it, and I think, well, now I'm a, a, a person that's about to turn 40, and I have that song now means to me, uh, you try really hard, and when uh, your life falls apart, the consequences are fucking enormous, and so the feeling that, it, that all the work that you did doesn't even matter as suddenly... Uh, a much more I mean, I guess, serious. Con- I don't know. It's, yeah, just, it's a more it's, interesting. It's weird lyric. that this like actually improves when you get older because like when you're a teenager, you haven't gotten so far. You've done nothing. That's the thing about it, man. It's a it like it really is a baby song for babies because it's so simple. But looking back on it as an adult, you're like, yes, I know like what that actually means, like what it means to co- come so far and then for it to not actually matter. Um, in the context of being an adult. That is fucking bleak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden I thought, wow, actually, this song is uh, relevant to my interests. Here's a funny thing. I was reading about it. I was like looking up. You know, I do want to read some of these brutal reviews from year 2000 or 2001. Oh, please. But before that, I wanted to write like the most negative review I could find, which was from Chester Bennington. May he rest in peace. But he said straight up, was like, I was never a fan. I didn't even want it to be on the record, honestly. And it, and of course, it turned out to be their biggest hit. So he says, like, I basically decided at that point, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So I leave that to the other people who are actually talented at somehow picking songs that people are going to like. Uh, I really understand this person. <laughs> yeah, I totally get him. That's, I, that's we don't it. know what we're talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, we're 
I'm on your wavelength, Mr. Bennington. All the all of the greatest geniuses are fucking idiots. <laughs> no, but you know, for me, like this was like the the gateway in because you know, one step closer, it was like I'm about to break. I I was turned off from that immediately. And crawling, I still think that song is like like you said, so on the nose. So, I mean, let's say whiny. Yeah. Was like, crawling in my skin i mean that that's still kind of a joke isn't it kind of but so here's the thing though just to just to switch things for a second w- wake me up inside if you will todd uh-huh. um this evanescence also i mean if if for only daredevil <laughs> that, compl- that song I... is also kind of sincere and stupid and 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 a bit of a self-parody especially considering the fact that the whole reason that there's a guy rapping in there at all is because they were trying to get, I mean, not, not the band. It was, it was was somebody else coming in. It was forced on them by the label. Yeah. So the label wanted to cash in on the success of Lincoln park and bands of its type. Yeah. And that is why that guy is there. I think this is probably pretty well known, but you know, there are demo versions of that song wherein there isn't that guy. And there's another, I've, I've, I've heard versions of it on YouTube without, Mm -hmm. without the rap singing. And it is a very different song. I, was, I meant to look that up before I uh, came in here. It's good. It's good. Well, I mean, not that I... I actually don't hate the guy rapping. It's it's It, it feels kind of forced, but it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, but what's your... What's my take on... Okay, well, let me say, like, I was uh, behind uh, on Linkin Park. I, it took me a while to get into them, but by that second album, I was all on board. I heard Bring Me to Life because uh, one of my, like, metal chick friends was like, I like this song, and... She mostly listened to like Disturbed and Limp Biscuit and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then one of my other friends who only listened to like pop music, her CD collection was nothing like like Pink, Avril Lavigne, Justin Timberlake, stuff like that. And was like, she was like, what's this? And I was like, don't worry about it. You won't like it. And like a week later, that was like her favorite song ever. And and it was like a light bulb came on over my head. It's like, oh my God, this band is going to be huge. Like, buy stock in Evanescence right now. And I was like, this is this band is going to be the best thing ever. I, I wasn't even, like, a super fan, but I was like, there's, like, a huge demographic of, like, gothy chicks or, you know, like, the Tori Amos fans, the Lilith Fair fans moving on to the next thing. This is going to be amazingly big. And then that second album came out, and I was like, sell, sell, dump all my stock right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I just... I caught a, a video, which is, uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but it points out one thing that I definitely remembered. It, it and It starts and with one thing. It starts with one thing. Uh, yeah. No, the thing that I remembered about the music video, and I rewatched the music video to make sure I was right. Oh man, that music video. That music video. <laughs> oh my God. And they really, so the, the, I saw this little cartoon that someone had made, and you just like, it's constantly focused on the space that is like just, just above her top, just below, right, just above her top lip, yeah. right down to to her breasts. They yeah. really show her like, and it's weird because I mean, she's just wearing a vaguely low cut top. But like, whoever yeah. filmed <laughs> that decided that like, did you know that this is a woman with <laughs> boobs? I fucking got it, man. Like, it's real. I mean, like the rest of the video is what it is. But gosh, it's really it, it was unmistakable them, and and it's it's really cringy now. It's not the band's fault, but. Boy, it really kind of sours the overall feel of the song if you're going to have that particular fucking thing in your voice. The only thing that can save it, of course, yeah, is the the goofy version of the song. Oh, by that you mean the version sung by Goofy. goofy. 
that uh, very famous YouTuber Sung Wan Cho made. It is. Uh, he sings the entire thing, doing an impression of Goofy from Disney's Kingdom Hearts. It is. But, uh, what a weird thing to choose. <laughs> what, from why is Kingdom he from Hearts. something else? Yeah, every literally every <laughs> Disney thing. But yeah. um, that parody, that idea is good, but it doesn't become great until he goes. Wake me up. <laughs> that is that is the turning point. I missed this one until like just now because I was reading the comments like the what now? I was like, okay, that's that's pretty funny. It is absolutely uh brilliant. Um but anyway, yeah, I don't know. It's just like that song when it first came out, I had good feelings, but the more I think about it and the more things that I associate with it, and also unfortunately, and this is a personal bias, they're a kind of a religious band. You know, they're of the part of the same uh um label as Creed, aren't they? Yeah, they're on the same label and they're on the of the same brand where it was like we're not, you know, a religious band, but we're but we're we are, not, not a religious band. Right. You know? But they pushed them to religious people and a lot of religious people, a lot of Christians are into that. And as a as a devout anti Christian, yeah. that's a terrible thing to say. As, <laughs> as somebody that doesn't have a lot of super positive feelings about it, that's like a an instant uh check of the minus column. For me as a as a as a as a human, that doesn't mean that it's bad music or bad bands. It's just it it makes me go all rubbery and yeah. Well, you know that I remember that being a controversial thing at the time, and uh, it wasn't like with Creed where we also just kind of didn't like the band. Period, because there was like people who were on board, but they were like, oh, I don't know, are they Jesusy and all that? And I honestly, mean, I forgive Sufjan Stevens for it. Forgive what a shitty thing to say. I'm really <laughs> sorry. I really like Sufjan Stevens' music, yeah. and he sings about Jesus quite a bit. Uh, I couldn't tell you why it is that that's the one that I let through. But uh, at the time, finding out that Evanescence was really Christian, I was like, Ugh. you know, I don't, re- you know, you can when you know about that, it doesn't really change the music to me. I don't really hear it. In hindsight, I don't give a shit. Yeah. At the time, I cared. Maybe it's just that I was being a shitty atheist in my mid twenties. <laughs> oh, th- thank God, Red didn't Red didn't exist yet for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you feel have like a lot I really... of things to scrub from your history. That's right. Oh, all I have is a weird live journal that no one will ever find. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember Evanets as being very popular on LiveJournal. Anyway, all right, had... so um, do you want to talk about the reviews? We didn't oh, do man. that yet. Oh, man, I, I skipped right over that. Let me see. Uh, I have a whole thing on here on uh, the internet. Let me see what it says. Okay. Doing to industrial rock what Vanilla Ice and New Kids on the Block did to R&B and hip-hop, the fresh-faced five-piece outfit performs a lightweight and soulless brand of music Compared to such groundbreaking artists as Trent Reznor, Tool, and Marilyn Manson, Linkin Park does not rate. Marilyn Manson has aged very strangely. Yep. Like the the vanilla ice of industrial. They're just, but they're not. Industrial is not really what I would describe them as. The first people who were like on board, like as in like a serious kind of way, and not just I'm 12 and then this speaks to me kind of way, were like, this reminds me of like Depeche Mode and stuff like that. Like this is like. And Nine Inch Nails, honestly. How industrial Nine Inch Nails were is also a topic of debate, but... All right. Let me pull this up here. The paragraph says, Those who prefer their industrial edge, hip-hop-inspired rock, uninspired and squeaky clean, need look no further than Linkin Park. And that's the thing. I remember they were also, like, called the boy band of new metal, as opposed to, like, the mean, like, Fred Durst, Kid Rock, and stuff like that. These were, like, teenagers. These were, you know, the boy band. They didn't curse. You, they didn't have the little uh, parental advisory sticker on the the cover of their album. It's and that was an easy way to attack them. It's weird that that's sometimes our metric. 
it isn't it for for adult and mature that don't i it makes me think about when uh they decided to um spin off doctor who into torchwood and they said this is going to be doctor who for adults and the whole first season was just idiotic but they cursed and fucked a bunch i was like this is not that's not what adulthood is I guess by a certain metric it is, but that's yeah. the worst possible metric. Saying Lincoln Park isn't good enough because they don't curse would be moronic. If anybody said that, they're wrong. Yeah. Hybrid Theory is a high-octane record, yes, but there's nothing on it that Fred Durst and Jonathan Davis haven't done better. I will have it in me to defend both of those bands at some point, even Limp Biscuit to a tiny extent, but it seems entirely odd to say, you're like, you're no Fred Durst. It certainly, in hindsight, is not a. That's not a thing that you would go back and and uh, and and share with people. Hey, look at this brilliant thing I wrote back in the day. Yeah, no Fred Durst. I was. I mean, this was very right at the end of this one. It does say, fortunately, tracks like "In the End" are worth coming back to. So that one was a little kinder than. Uh, and honestly, like I, I did a whole listen to that album, which I haven't actually done. I do prefer like the albums that come came after when they kind of started growing their sound in like 2003, 2007. So I don't know, like I'm not entirely against what they're saying here. Like there is stuff on here that does seem a little kiddie. Oh, some of the, the, the rapping uh, that link that, that Lincoln Park does on that album has got a little bit of that. Like, well, my name's Lincoln Park and I'm here <laughs> to say like, it's just <laughs> shut up when I'm talking to you. <laughs> It's just not complex, you know. It definitely was that moment where we were like, "I don't know, should uh, should 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 the young whites be doing this?" I'm not, mm, uh, you know, I don't. I mean, I'm Mike not Shinoda, sure they should be in, including that in country music. Yeah, well, not yeah. not Lil Nas X, not one standing, but like the, like the bro country that it has a tendency to bring it in. You're like, should yeah. we? And I definitely remember feeling that way at the time with Lincoln Park and looking yeah. back on it, I'm still not sure that they were great at it yet. And we're going to get shit for this if we don't say this. Um, Mike Shinoda is not white. So. Oh, sorry, 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 everybody. <laughs> sorry, sorry. He's, 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 ha- he's half Japanese. So, I mean, not that this makes him a better rapper or, or more legitimate, but I don't know. I, 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 I never mind him. Well, actually, I did mind him when he was not in Lincoln Park because he did several side projects. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Was it Fort Minor? They had, like, I don't know. He's a guy that needed Chester Bennington to really, like, bring his stuff to life because uh, that's, that, I forget what it was called. Where'd you go? It was about his parents' divorce. I was like, you're, you're not here anymore, Dad. Oh. And it was rough. It was very rough. And it... Chester Bennington, he was the one who really put like the angst in it. And it's like when I go back and listen to it, I was like, this is not as callow as I thought it was. This is a guy screaming out in real pain. And now now what we know about him, like not even just may he rest in peace, but also he's he's talked about being molested as a kid and stuff like that. Yeah, and- I mean, look, there is that. OK, so Chester Bennington uh, committed suicide in 2017. Yes. And uh, I think the thing to really keep in mind about that is that he died, I think, two months after Chris Cornell died. He committed suicide in the exact same way. And Chris Cornell's daughter was his goddaughter. So there's a there's a real there's a real direct fucking line between the one death and the other. And that's a fact when one major person in 
a life commit suicide, the number of suicides spikes. So it's not just, you know, Chris Cornell died and he was a well-known person. So people that grew up liking his music become more likely. Which Linkin Park absolutely would have been. Right. But the thing about it is that Bennington wasn't just a fan of Chris Cornell's. This was a person that he had a tight bond with. And I, and so I think that that, you know, I'm sure there were a million other things going on, as is the case with all people who do a suicidal ideation. But like, that's a thing. I mean, that it happened within two months and that they died in the exact same way should tell you everything. The other one that came right before that was uh, uh, Scott Wheeland. Eve. Oh, right. And I think they were connected to like Chester Bennington filled in for Stone Temple Pilots when uh, Wheeland was too, you know, drugged out of his mind to perform, which was a lot of the time. And like that was just like one after the other. And that was pretty brutal. I think the thing that I realized um, in thinking about that was not just that um, that the music was genuine and sincere. You know, cause sometimes when yeah. you hear something that simple, you think it could be also phony. Yeah. Not only was it legit, but then you look and you see that the way that they evolved their music, the way that they engaged with their fans, the way that they also were setting up charities and trying to help the world, right? These were, a you know, I, it, it it's impossible to not have the music in hindsight be reshaped by who these people are as long-term humans, yeah. right? These are decent human beings that really set out maybe not necessarily to try and do great things for the world, but did, but did start charities and did continue and set up a new charity when, when, when Chester died, like that's a, that's a thing that happened. That's who these, that's who these people are. And another thing I think that says a lot is that, you know, that they had put out an album. He died right after that. They got rid of, they canceled the North American wing of their tour. And when they finally did go out, there were all these other bands that came in and helped them perform in the beginning for them to get back on their feet. And that's another thing. Like everyone I think, filling in for Heath Ledger in that one last movie he did. Yeah, it just, it doesn't it fucking tell you, that tells you goddamn everything. Yeah. It, Linkin Park is a band with a pretty strong legacy. And I feel like Evanescence could have had that too if they hadn't just, destroyed themselves with a lot of internal drama but like when we talk about all this stuff you know how much it meant in hindsight i feel like bring me to life has kind of been diminished over time in the way that lincoln park has not yeah that's the thing like that's that is still the song that people know them best for yeah. i would argue oh yeah obviously and they had several hits otherwise they had going under they had uh you know my immortal and uh, you know, we made fun of that too but like people I feel like people still kind of sincerely get into my immortal as much of a joke as it became, you know, for, you know, live journaly teens and bad fan fiction. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I need a life feels like at the time I wasn't into it for like the angst. I was just like, yeah, this is like a head banger. Throw you, throw the horns in the air, bang your head, rap along. Uh, I'll, I'll do the male part and you, you guys do the female part. Yeah. I mean, I could see myself, um, going to karaoke and seeing if we could get like uh, Lindsay or Angelina to, to, to take the other part side of it, you know, like that would be fun. Yeah. No, I, I always rapped along with the guy whenever I heard it, like whether I was with people or not, it was like, wake me up. Yeah. It's dumb. It's dumb as paint. But the thing is that, yeah, it has diminished its value because there was never anything truly substantial to follow it up. They're they're not a one hit wonder band, but they might as fucking well be. I don't know. That second album started out with "Call Me When You're Sober," which is like they're an over the top goth band, 
And they're right, you know, speaking of basic and on the nose, like it was so mundane and it just didn't work for them. I was like, oh man, I bet on the wrong horse. But, you know, I feel like they could have been because, you know, my female friends, there were a bunch of them were into like Lacuna Coil or Nightwish and they could have been like the pop version of that. And they were for a brief period. And, you know, I mean, this is not a minor thing. They were women in a male dominated field. Absolutely. And I don't want to take anything away from that. They were immediately different just by that alone. And you hear like, it was like, well, we got to put a wrapper on it because we can't sell you. We've been trying. And all these record stations are like slamming the door in my face. They don't want to hear a chick on the radio. They don't want to hear a chick on the metal stations. They don't want, where's your rapper? You can't just sing with your piano, even though Bring Me to Life, even without the rapping, sounds exactly like a Linkin Park song with the same like piano intro, the same like stuttering beats. It seems insane to think it's like, no, our radio stations can't handle this when they clearly could. It's entirely possible that the the lack of long-term success just stems from the reality that they were, even with a big hit, mm-hmm. going to constantly face an uphill battle. Uh, you know, well, that was like really when radio started turning to shit, like, like five years on from the Clear Channel. Bill Clinton signed something in like 1996, and then all the radio stations started getting consolidated and stuff like that. And so that point on, like rock starts getting really heavily male and I'm not sure why. Cause you know, the nineties were very good for chick rock. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I, it's so weird to hear people talk about Amy Lee as somebody that doesn't have a lot to offer. And I'm like, she seems fine. She just never got the opportunity that like, say, I don't know, Shirley Manson got, I fucking love Shirley Manson and still yeah. do. She was a genuine idol of, of mine when I was in high school. I looked up to her mm-hmm. and I feel as though Amy Lee had a, a, a period in time in which she was that, but wasn't really for whatever reason, given the chance to endure. I mean, it's not, I mean, they still make music. It's just that whatever it is that keeps you on the radio, either they didn't have, or some external source was preventing them from being able to have that. Well, no one does it alone. And Amy Lee was a great talent, but like Evanescence was a band and they were a band like in constant turmoil after that first uh, record. And I didn't, wasn't ever clear why, but I was like kept hearing things like, oh, he quit the band. He's back in the band. No, he's gone for good. And it was just like drama all the goddamn time. And then she ended up marrying um, the one guy. She's married to, uh, I, I don't think he's in the band. It's the guy that, that she um, wrote the, the song, song about. For, though. Yeah. No, this is funny to me because, you know, I have never, ever once thought, what is this song about? I was just like, you know, it's a, you know, over the top goth, gothy new metal song. And I was like, wait, this is a love song. And I was like, you know, you look at the lyrics, like, wake me up inside. It's like, this is call me maybe as a metal song. Kind of a little bit like I I met a guy and he's, you know, and I've been depressed all the time. But you could, you know, save me. You could. Uh, Uh, All right. Um, Three questions. Okay. here you go. All right. First question is only one of these songs can remain in the annals of history. The other one is to be struck from existence for all time. Which one has to stay? You know, that's a funny thing. I, I kept saying it was like I would lean towards in the end rather than bring me to life. But like bring me to life. Like it just feels like it is like a major thing. And like we have tons of Linkin Park songs, even though that was like the Linkin Park song that got me into it. They have several songs that perform the same function. There, there is only one Bring Me to Life, 
with its wonderful, amazing video. Although, to be fair, both of these videos are amazing. Yes, the Evanescence one, which looks like it could be uh, part of the <laughs> Underworld series. Oh, man. Poor Paul Stone. I mean, uh, Paul McCoy of 12 Stones. He was not made to act. No. <laughs> he's trying so hard. He's like, there's nothing inside. But he's just like, what the fuck am I doing here? He looks like so out of place. He looks constipated. Yes. And perhaps he was. Oh, I I think I'm I'm thinking, you know, in the end is great, but I think I would keep bring me to life. Honestly, I agree. uh, And for the same reasons, I think that ultimately Lincoln Park is still Lincoln Park without in the end. But I just for whatever fans remain out there, I don't know that Evanescence would have them and whatever mark that they did leave, whatever good they did. And it certainly seems that there was plenty. I don't think it would exist. So, I, yeah, I would say you have to you kind of have to keep that one. All right, so this there you go. Great, okay. we're we are in accord. Right, so far so good. Second question: You can only you could be a fly on the wall. Let me try that again. Second question: You can be a fly on the wall for one of these two songs. Get to witness the entire creation of the whole thing. Which is the one that you want to be there for? Again, I think I got to go with "Bring Me to Life" because. You know, there there's a seems a lot more dramatic where the record label is like, no, you have to have a rapper on here or like a, a a guy on here to sell it. And they were gonna trying to get like get them to pick like a full time second vocalist, a guy vocalist. They're trying to force that on them, and they were like, no, we are we are who we are. We'll have like and they compromised with having a guest rapper on there. And this seems like the most bullshit of bullshit things to have to do, and yet. At the end of it, they still had a great song. So I want to see like how that came about to them. Where like actually, like this has been horseshit the entire time, but this may actually turn out really good. I think that would be like an interesting thing to witness. I mean, yeah, I could see that. I think it's just that um, in the end, also has a at least a a, a, re- a like a, like a decent story behind it. Wherein uh, uh, what's his face was just locked in a room for a long time. And then wrote it and wrote Which it. Which one? It. Uh, so Bennington or Shinoda or the the the, the guitarist? Uh, I forget his name. Dave something. Uh, I think it was. I think it was Mike Shinoda. Uh, hold yeah. on. Hold on, Paul. I'm gonna double check the. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Mike Shinoda. Uh, here, here's the actual quote. I remember putting this together in our rehearsal studio on Hollywood and Vine, working overnight in a room with no windows. I had no idea what time of day it was. I just slept when I was tired and worked on this song until it took shape. I don't know. I guess that's kind of a boring thing, but it. Yeah. I think it's interesting to watch one person alone in a dead, quiet space redo the same thing over and over again, but slightly differently each time until that moment where it goes, aha, that's the one. It's just like, uh, you know, uh, do you ever see uh, when so- those famous photos, like when somebody makes takes a shot and it winds up on uh, in like, a, like the cover of a famous magazine? And if you look... They would. They took like a hundred shots, and they're almost almost identical, all of them. And it's interesting because you could ask every single photographer and say, like, why was this of all the ones that are almost identical? Why was this the one shot that you chose? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, the answer is, I have no fucking clue. It just is instinct. <laughs> but it's interesting to to me the idea of being able to watch somebody in real time figure out that moment, that one particular thing that just. The timing this way, the note this way, the tempo that way, that makes sense. 
I would like to see who was, who made the decision that they should uh, stutter some of the beasts, like acting like I was part of your proper T. Yeah, really like, that's interesting. A brilliant move. Yeah, it's. So, I, I would. On, I, I would argue that's the best part of the whole song. Yeah, right on the T, and not at the beginning of the proper T. Yeah, I brilliant. Can, whoever did that, whoever I should look that up. But you can feel free to. But yeah, so yeah. that's. So I would say for me, I'd take in the end. I would. I would love to find out that part because that there you go i get that part too um so yeah that's my vote i vote in the end all right third and most important question you know i there are times where i think like nah this does not really apply this question does not really apply but this one absolutely we have to ask it right away william shatner can do a shatner version of only one of these two songs what's what of these two songs must be shatnered oh geez I man, that is a hard one. Like, can can Nimoy do like the other bit? Like, <laughs> well, no, he's dead. But um, if, if he if he could, like, have Nemo Nimoy do the singing and have Shatner do the rapping. Oh my god! <laughs> In both versions. Okay, so then, all right, which which one? All right, yes, yeah, so I'll yeah. let you have that. All of this time, I can't believe I couldn't see. It's got to be that one. Got to be that one. Bring me to life. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Asking like I was part of your property. Actually, no. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you. One thing. I don't know why. Doesn't even matter how hard you try. Actually, I think you could do that one better because that one's a song of resignation and despair. And he does a good burnt out, jaded guy. Yeah. yeah. Just put the cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> so hard. Got so far. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's in the end. There's no question. There's no question in my mind, not for a moment. And by the way, somebody pointed out in the comments. Actually, you know what? I guarantee that it's on your list. That there's I mean, it, a, might, it there, might not have. Is, like, is it the silent fourth question? Do you have the silent fourth question? No, what was that? Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll get to it in a second. All right. So I'm going to say in the end for that. Do you do you want to change your vote? Which which one do you pick? In the end or back uh, back to life? Bring me to life. Bring me to life. Whatever. Uh, no, same fucking thing. Oh, geez. I guess I'm still within the end. Okay. All right. So we've got two against one right now. All right. Leaning so far, we're leaning towards Lincoln Park. Uh, let's let's listen to some comments. Um, if you want to pick some out, I'll see if I can find the one that I really liked. But go ahead. You do one first. Uh, Shixabel writes, that I pick Bring Me to Life because it has way more gender crossover appeal than in the end. And it is objectively both the best and worst couples karaoke duet you can do. That's a really good point. Yes. And I, you know, at the karaoke bar I hang out with, they always, there's always two people who are doing Bring Me to Life. All right. Here you go. You ready? Brandon Hay. Thank you for your comment, Brandon. Well, this song versus song highlights the hidden fourth question. Which song would make a better kids bop cover? Oh, yes. I did have this on here. (laughs) Yes. And here we already have the results for both. Yeah. Kids bop in the end is funny. But Kids Bop Bring Me to Life is just an all-time comedy classic. <laughs> I have to vote for that. Um, Brandon, you are... I, I don't remember if I had actually listened to one or both of them at the time. I definitely remember Kids Bop. I definitely remember being gobsmacked that in the end was made into one. But it really, um, Bring Me to Life is... It is an all-time bad cover of a song. And it's because the Kids Bop is really just... Um, predicated on the idea that you've got one to two adult singers who are singing yeah. with a bunch of kids. And that works fine 
except in the case where the adults cannot sing. <laughs> when the children are doing better than you and by a noticeable margin, you've gone wrong. And this goes so wrong that it becomes right. It's it's so bad because it's just like, who is the, the guy who is going like, wake me up? Like the way that he does it is like, it's, Very- it's it's so bad. It's so it's it's. It sounds very Chuck E. Cheese in my head. It does. It's it's kind of it kind of sounds like the Goofy thing, except not. I I. It's not as good as Goofy. It's I, just not I, as Goofy did it better. There is also a uh, Kids Bob version of My Immortal, and I remember seeing that on like one of the Kids Bob commercials, and I laughed so hard. Amazing. <laughs> Why would I want to hear a bunch of small children sing? My Immortal. And like there's that's not even like a dark or dirty song that needs to be cleaned up. Like you could play the regular version for your kids already. Okay. Well, anyway, Insider 2000 wrote a very long thing defending both of these songs. I'm just going to quote the salient point here. It says nothing was more frustrating than being told it was cringy to like songs that screamed I'm sad or I'm mad during the Bush administration, the Iraq war or all the other messed up things we went through as teenagers. And if that makes me cringy, then fine. I don't care. Yes, we will shut up forever. Like, uh, well, I mean, I've already backed off on like, I'm too cool for Lincoln park. Well, yeah, anyway. that's, that's, that's the whole point of it is that the beauty of this podcast is that it's an opportunity yes. to look at what your knee-jerk responses were to a song and then reevaluate. That is that is the nice thing about it, mostly for us, but I guess also for the people listening. Yeah. All right. Morgan writes, these were both formative texts of my adolescence, but the main thing I remember about them is that when Reanimation came out, that was their uh, remix album, and the soundtrack... And it had a remix of In the End called Nth Eaten that got radio play. As a sheltered white girl, this was my first encounter with the concept of remixing songs, and it blew my freaking mind. And I've just hunted that remix down and listened to it again. Holy shit, it is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) No, that is... I was like, okay, I got to listen to it because I did not listen to that remix album, and it is bad. It's almost like a reggae beat in the end. Oh, that's I, I don't no comment Re- reggae, perhaps not the, the greatest genre. of <laughs> but music. That's probably a bad sorry, way to put sorry, it. Reggae. It, it's it stutters all over the place. I reggae is probably not the right word for it, but it is pretty rough. Well, anyway, Aussie Dragon writes, you have to go bring me to life. It's the perfect song to stab hanging rice bags to in your leather corset. So true. So true. I, you know what? I have to say, actually, um. Do you think, honestly, that that song makes that montage better or worse? It's better because it's a good song, but like that, the, the Electra training montage is just so ridiculous because Jennifer Garner cannot play badass. I don't know how long it took her to hang those rice bags everywhere. I completely forgot that. I completely forgot about the Daredevil connection before I started working on this episode. Yeah, it's hilarious. I like, actually, like, I actually think it makes it worse because it's <laughs> because the song is a song that you actually know, yeah. and it just I already have a lot of association with where that fits in my brain, and yeah. so for it to show up there, it just doesn't 
because I'm still thinking about the Evanescence music video. <laughs> and here's this, you know, especially when you get to the end of it where the last of the sandbags has a face on it and which and which you go, Wilson! Oh. Maybe God. not everybody does that, but that is what I do. Yeah, I, I re- actually watched that movie recently. I've totally forgotten My Immortal is in there too. It is, it sure is. Oh, okay. Uh, Dylan Perrin writes, I chose Bring Me to Life because when I saw the video... When I was about four, I cried because I couldn't save Amy Lee from falling to her death. When choosing between which song would you rather move from existence, I'd pick in the end solely because it never caused me emotional distress at such a young age. Imagine being emotionally scarred by the fucking Bring Me to Life video. I mean, I'm emotionally scarred by it, but for different reasons. No, I have a smooth brain and, (laughs) and, and feel no emotions. Amy Shine writes... I remember one year after the Green Bay Packers had a particularly bad season, one of our local news stations played in the end and feeling even as a teenager that that was a bit melodramatic. It's weird. Not really a thing I associate with sports. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing I, you know, these are both songs you write use for your, you know, Evangelion fan vids. So That's exactly right. Oh my god. That's what I was thinking this whole time is that they're like uh FMVs that they're called fan-made videos. Yeah, or, AM- or fan music videos, or yeah, a- AMV specifically at the time. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z videos set to Lincoln Park songs. But, there's a, but if there's a television show out there, people have made music videos about a, a pairing or about some element of the thing, and I feel like Evanescence and that song and Lincoln Park and that song are two of the most used. Yeah, they're at this point it'd be just be too obvious. It's like playing Thriller on Halloween. Like, got him. That's what I associate bring me to life with now silly stuff like that silly like halloween stuff and fan videos like i can't really imagine anyone listening to it sincerely in 2019 i have difficulty imagining anyone feeling like super angsty about it even back in 2003 like and i'm sure they'd were like tons of you know small children were like this was the most intense agonizing thing in the world but i i just cannot hear it like that and i didn't hear it like that at the time going under i could hear and my immortal but not that song it's it's too fun it's a fun song. That's what I think of that song. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Are we done with the comments? All right. Well, you know, we've gone back and forth on this. Who do you think is uh, the winner? Well, let me ask you this. Are you still uh, at in the end? Is that still where you're landing on these two songs? Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I am also now. I've been moved. After okay. having this conversation, I, I think, am I think now. I've argued, but who do you think won? I genuinely do not know. It's a hard one, right? I really yeah. don't know because you, I mean, genuinely from a from a nostalgia viewpoint, which I think is probably how most people are going to come at this, mm-hmm. it's you really could go either way. It really is just, this is an example of two songs where it just boils down to where you were emotionally when you heard each of these songs for the first time. I think that is it beginning to end. So it really could go either way. How did it turn out? Okay. For a total of 387 to 367. Wow. A 51 to 49% split. Holy shit. The winner is Linkin Park by 20 points. <laughs> wow. What? 20 votes. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, that is that the closest one we've had? Like I don't know. We've had a couple that have been really close, but that is really fucking close. Yeah, that is like right on the line. I was like really impressed. Like finally, I didn't accidentally write a blowout for the vote. <laughs> I think that you know what? Honestly, I think that's right. I think that that is right. I think if you listen to both songs, I think if you put them in context, mm-hmm. if you think about them uh, using all of our very important questions, including apparently the silent kids bop one. Oh, man. 
Think we'll we'll think about adding that one. <laughs> I will genuinely consider it an excellent, excellent point. Uh, all right. Well, uh, you know the recent ones we do where we can actually find them because like. Well, no, you yeah. can just you can I suppose make it up. But anyway, all right. So I guess that's it. What's the next episode going to be about? Oh, okay. Well, this is one I've like had in the back pocket for quite a bit. We're uh, we're going to do Brian Adams' Summer of '69 versus John Mellencamp's Jack and Diane. Look forward to getting less votes. <laughs> And that that one means a little less to people than Lincoln Park, you think? I'm I'm gonna say that uh, I don't know if enough boomers listen to our <laughs> podcast. The, these songs have stood the test of time. No, they're, that you they're, know, they're they're firmly like very early Gen X. They they haven't. I don't think they've been forgotten exactly. I just you know what? If there's one thing that I have learned based on the votes mm-hmm. and the songs that we've chosen, uh, it tends to be stuff from the 21st century fares a little bit better. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe y'all will surprise me. Yeah, we gotta, really really dig into these two great, great, great. John Mellencamp's in the Hall of Fame, man. Artists is I Brian know, Adams not in the Hall of Fame? No, he sucks. Okay, but not substantially more than John Mellencamp. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll save we'll save it all for the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. As always, there are a number of ways that you can support Song versus Song for free. Cost you absolutely nothing. Uh, those ways are uh, one: you can leave a five star review on iTunes. Two: you can write a review on iTunes. That really helps. Uh, three: when people ask you, "Hey," uh, what podcast should I listen to? Especially if they ask on Twitter or whatever. Uh, say, hey, song versus song. I hear that song versus song is going great. Yep, that's those are the those are three really great ways. None of them cost you a dime. Uh, and if you want to give us money, uh, the great news is that you can also do that if you would like. Uh, it costs you a dollar at minimum. If you want to give more, you can. It's on Patreon. If you uh, if you do that, you get one extra episode per month. Uh, it is always the same thing. We watch some musical-based movie, and then we talk about it. Uh, last month, we did Cats with the rap critic. I think it, it was, was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if you are not done with Cats-related content, you're not done with Tom Hooper's Cats, and believe me, I certainly am not. You want to hear what we had to say about it, check that out. Toss us a dollar, and you can listen to the entire thing. We talked for quite a bit. Yep, and as always, uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, there is more than one podcast that is done at this very table that we're recording at this very moment. Uh, the other one is our sister podcast. It is called The Apocalypse Book Club. It is a podcast about every single work of apocalyptic fiction as far as novels go. Nella, who you might know, who worked for a website that we won't name, and my wife, uh, Raven Jacobowski, uh, they do this podcast together. And it is also very good. So if you're looking for something that is um, sort of like a, 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 a nice, expensive wine to the cheap beer that is Song vs. Song, uh, I would highly recommend checking it out. And that is our episode. We will see you next time.